This program is for informational purposes only and is not a solicitation or a recommendation that any particular investor should purchase or sell any particular security. All expressions of opinions are subject to change without notice and are those of the on-air cast of the Stock Doctor's Prescription and not necessarily those of International Assets Advisory, LLC, member FINRA, and SIPC. Investments mentioned on this program may not be suitable for all investors. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. All information presented about tax considerations affecting client financial transactions or arrangements is not intended as tax advice and should not be relied on for the purpose of avoiding any tax penalty. You should discuss any tax or legal matters with the appropriate professional before entering into any trade or transaction. Paging Dr. Seiler. Paging Dr. Seiler. If you're feeling run down, tired, exhausted by the daily drip, drip, drip of your life savings draining away, the Stock Doctor's Prescription may be right for you. The Stock Doctor's Prescription will give you the peace of mind knowing that you're getting the best possible information. Do not use the Stock Doctor's Prescription if you're allergic to the Stock Doctor's Prescription or any of its ingredients, including but not limited to wisdom, research, critical thinking, thoughtful discourse, occasional dad jokes, drinking references, drum solos. Side effects of the Stock Doctor's Prescription may include unwieldy wealth deposits, previously unknown relatives, groupies, extended comfort in your retirement, and swelling. The Stock Doctor's Prescription starts now. Good afternoon. It is time now for the Stock Doctor's Prescription on Money Radio, KFNN, 1510 AM and 105.3 FM. I am a million-dollar Bill Keevan, along with the Megalennial, Nikki Ward, and this just in, we are here uh, along with the man, the myth, the legend... Thank you. Thank you very the much. The stock doctor Thank is you. here. And uh, it is time now for us to do a number of things. We have a lot of things on the agenda for today. We're going to uh, talk a little bit later on with the fiscal therapist, Jared Bocart. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, space exploration. We're going to talk about uh, the Ever Given, the uh, ship that was stuck in the uh, Suez Canal. And, and how that impacts the economy. And, the, yeah. We're going to talk about we'll how there. it impacts the economy and how when you say 10% of the world's economy flows through one space, <laughs> what does that really mean? Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about a once-in-a-decade margin call. And before that, though, it's time for a market review. Well, you know, the markets yesterday had a rough day. I mean, they We were down significantly, down several hundred points, although we did rally back, but still closed down. Uh, this is, again, uh, you know, today's Wednesday. We don't know how things are going to close at the end of the day, but uh, yesterday the markets were down, or the Dow was down 104 points at 33.066. The S&P down 14, which is about three-eighths of a percent. The NASDAQ was down 14. The Russell was actually up. But what we saw over the last couple of weeks, and we were seeing just a lot of the same type of action. We're seeing tech stocks in growth areas of the market take hits. Uh, interest rates are continuing to climb. We're over 1.7%, got to 1.74-ish. So that is disconcerting for growth investors. The value play still seems to be there. There's money flowing that direction. But, you know, what what you had to look at is year-to-date, we're still looking pretty good. I mean, the, the Dow Jones, and again, the Dow Jones is 30 stocks, okay? We don't, in our money management, we don't invest in Dow 30 stocks. We invest in some Dow components for our clients, certainly. But um, for the year, the, the NASDAQ, by the way, which had been a great performer last year, only up 1%. The Dow up almost 8%, seven and change. The S&P 500 up a little over 5%. But the big winner uh, for the year thus far 
is the Russell 2000, the small caps, up over 10%. So we can extrapolate that out. We can just say, all right, so this is essentially the first quarter. So just multiply everything by four, and that's our result for the year. That's it. And we can call it a day, and we can go home, and we can take the rest of the year off. 40% 40 for the Russell? (laughs) Is that what you're saying? Easy. Okay. Easy. Wouldn't that be Piece of cake. (laughs) Speaking of that, though, speaking about easy numbers, I want everybody to be cautious when you're doing, and I know a lot of people that are do-it-yourselfers out there, the home gamers that are that are doing their own research, looking for ideas, and that's great. If you can't find those ideas, I do suggest you can call us, okay? Silo Wealth Management, that's me, my namesake. We have a great team here, and that's what we do. We manage money for our clients, but I want everybody to be careful when you're looking at track records. We're looking at what stocks have done or funds, more importantly, have done over the last year. There's a big difference between 2020 and 12-month performance. A huge difference. The S&P 500 for 2020, up about 16%. The S&P 500 for the last 12 months, up 58%. Remember where this is calculating from. It's calculating from the depths of hell after the economy shut down and we hit that trough on March 23rd of last year. The absolute trough. The absolute low. Almost exactly one year ago, right now, today. So what you're seeing out there, and we do a lot of research on mutual funds and ETFs, and uh, if you look at a a mutual fund or an ETF, and it's a growth mutual fund, and you see that, wow, the last 12 months it was up 20%, (laughs) that's pretty bad. (laughs) Move right along. Because a monkey throwing darts probably was up 30%. 12 months from well, now. If it landed on the S&P, it'd be up 55, 58%. 55%. So, yeah, at, at least 30. So, I just want everybody to be careful when you're doing your research. 12-month returns, much different than 2020 returns. Uh, of course, there's year-to-date. You look at that, too. But And I look at 12-month returns. I want to see how things compared to relatively on the last 12 months. But, again, it's just um, stocks are unbelievable. I see some ETFs out there, especially the uh, energy efficient type and the clean air, the clean energy type ETFs were up hundreds, hundreds of a percent, Bill. I mean, we're talking 200%. And and there's one in specific I was looking at. It's uh, it's Q Clean. It's a first trust clean energy ETF. And that was up over 200%. Is that... No, in 12 that, months. Okay. In 12 months. That's why, that's why I want to make sure you understand that's a big difference between 12 months and, and 2020. So... You know, you just make sure that when you're doing your research, make sure you get the numbers right. And again, if you need some help, we can always uh, direct you in the right uh, right way, especially we will take, an, take into account what your risk tolerance is and what you're trying to achieve for uh, the rest of your life. Now, you said give us a call, but you didn't mention the number. And if you don't want to wait until the commercial break, the number is 888-855-2855. That's 888-855-2855. Right. And you can click on the uh, Money Radio uh, website. We're on there too. And you just click on our show, but uh, we will be on this network. By the way, a fantastic network. We were on here years ago, Bill. Years and years. For many, many years. And uh, that's KFNN and 1510 105.3. How come, is, how come it was that when we traveled, I didn't get to go to Phoenix or Vegas? You did. I went to go to Anchorage. <laughs> you went to San Antonio. I went to San Antonio. I think you went to San Diego. I went to San Diego <gasps> once and had great seats at a ball game. Yes. Do you love yes. San Diego? Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. How's Anchorage? Do you like Anchorage? I do like Anchorage, actually. <laughs> I do like Anchorage. When you're cruising by it. Oh, geez. <laughs> um, but you know, I want to get into something that uh, happened. And, and when anything you hear once in a decade, once in a lifetime, you have to kind of pay attention. 
And yesterday morning, Justin, we had headlines. I'm sorry, Monday morning had uh, headlines out a once in a decade margin call. And it was really, it was involving Nomura Securities, which is a big Japanese bank, Credit Suisse, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, among others. But sure, what's going on sure. here? What is the, what is a once in a decade margin call? We know what margin is, which is leverage. Million dollar bill, Keevan. Yes, sir. Did you know last week, as recently as Friday, there was a billion dollar bill? There was a billion dollar bill. It's a different last name. Okay. Not Keevan. Okay. But there used to be a billion dollar bill. Last I, name was Wang. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's not the same now. He, uh, he runs a private family office for uh, his group is called Archegos. Yeah. Which is ancient Greek for leader. For lead, Well, yeah, one that leads the way or something like that. And in the New Testament. Leads the way down. Leads the way down Jesus. this week. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Bill's had a rough few days. <laughs> and so- not me. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure about Bill Keevan. I expect he's probably had a fantastic few days based yes. on how he looks right now. It looks but Bill, Bill Huang has not had a great few days. No. And, and what we, we saw here, the headlines were that uh, Nomura Securities and Credit Suisse are, are losing. Well, per, billions. per Bloom, Bloomberg, okay. the headline said one of the world's greatest uh, hidden fortunes is wiped out in a few days. Wow. That's rough stuff. Wow. Well, but is it a real fortune if it's all on leveraged money? And, and I would argue no, it's not a real well, fortune. And it was significantly leveraged, however. Yeah, it was still a well, it was it was still a fortune. But Justin started with the Chinese stocks over the last well, several so, weeks. Yeah, so, so, the, how, so how basically what's happened is there are a lot of American depository receipts, which basically is a Chinese company or, or any other you know, a company from any other nation trading on our exchanges. Okay. It's what we call an ADR, and it's basically a stock, but I can't call it a stock. It's an ADR. Okay. So these groups have been under fire from the Securities and Exchange Commission for, I don't know, the the recent past for not really giving the same level of disclosure that a company that trades on our exchange and is listed here in the United States is a stock. And there was threats that... Big companies like Alibaba wouldn't be plant trading on our exchanges, right? And 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 there were apparently some some sanctions coming their way, okay, which caused a little bit of a sell off. So when that sell off took place, and and somebody is is leveraged up six eight times over, then they start to get concerned. And then we had Viacom was doing a secondary offering. So when a secondary offering comes about, that will dilute the shares, which will cause the stock to go down. Okay. So we had somewhat of a perfect storm here that caused, you know, somebody that's leveraged up. So the Archegos group had big margin calls. Significant. And from what I understand from CNBC, they defaulted on it. From what I understand, they Correct. did not they did not cover their margin call. So positions had to get sold. Correct. To cover these losses. Now Nomura and Credit Suisse was their their custodians, but Goldman Sachs were selling big big blocks of stock at deep discounts. Right. Uh, on on late Thursday and Friday afternoon. Yes. And, and, of course, when they start selling, that puts pressure on the rest of the market, and it drives down the price in general with these, these trades that simply have to happen because they have to get out of these positions exactly. because they've got to get the money back. Exactly. Well, uh, interesting. When we come back, we'll talk about what Goldman did because Goldman got out of there scot-free. Yeah. It, it did not, they did not lose their tail like uh, Namora and Credit Suisse did. Coming up in the next segment, we're going to talk with uh, the fiscal therapist, Jared Bocart. We're also 
Going to hear from our, uh, our not this next segment, but coming up. Yes, she's shaking me off here. Uh, the Megalennial. Uh, and if you have a question for us, I want you to send us an email. Feedback at stockdr.com. We're going to be right back right here on Money Radio, KFNN, 1510 AM and 105.3 FM. You're listening to The Stock Doctor's Prescription on Money Radio, 1510 and 105.3 FM. This is The Stock Doctor's Prescription on Money Radio, 1510 and 105.3 FM. You are listening to The Stock Doctor's Prescription. I am a million-dollar Bill Keevan. Uh, along with the megalennial herself, Nikki Ward. Uh, also joining us for this segment, it is the fiscal therapist, Jared Bokar. We're going to get to him in just a couple of minutes. But first, Lee, as we are ending up that last segment, you were telling us what was going on with Goldman Sachs with this giant margin yeah. call from well, earlier this week. What they were talking about is Goldman Sachs because they are very, very good at what they do. And Namora and Credit Suisse, they had less stringent standards on these margin accounts. Goldman and Morgan Stanley got out of this thing pretty much scot-free. But Goldman was selling big blocks of stock. They got rid of stocks out of their inventory late last week at deep discounts. If you have a Goldman Sachs account, I would take a look inside. I bet uh, a couple things were added over the last week. Some of these Chinese internet stocks or maybe some Viacom or Discovery, something like that. But, uh, you know, look, these these guys know what they're doing. And Goldman Sachs hasn't been around for 100 years because they are uh, it's amateur hour, I assure you. But anyway, before um, – yeah, I'm sorry. All right. Now, I'm not, not saying that you're making any allegations here. But do you think somebody at Goldman Sachs got a call from somebody that knew that something was going on on Monday? I do know that this would not be the first time that Bill Huang has gotten in trouble for insider information. Yeah, he got not. he got hit for a wire fraud. And no, for insider information, yeah. for insider yeah. trading. I think it was back in 2012 over Chinese companies. Yeah. Seems like there's a recurring theme here. Well, and there's a reason he has a family office. Yeah, the recurring right. theme is he changed the name of the family <laughs> office. Yeah. But, <laughs> went from Tiger, Tiger Asia to... Uh, but family office is not like what we do. We're registered investment advisors. We, we give advice... He's not allowed. Correct. He can so only, he can only manage to his family and friends. Yes, friends and family. So anyway, um, today something kind of um, exciting came out. And first of all, you know, Kathy Wood, well, well documented as she's been a rock star in the ETF world over the last several years. I think all five of her flagship ETFs were up 100% last year, not not uh, 12 months, but I think they all are 12 months too, probably. And year to date, she's in the red though. So she's in the red. We do need to clarify. And I know uh, Nikki, she's uh, one of the few females in this industry. And mm-hmm. you know, you she's guys. She's I look up to. You're an advisor. There's less than 10% of. Uh, yeah, she's an anomaly. So yep. uh, when she talks, I listen. So she came out and again, her, her ETFs this year, however, are in the red. But this uh, well expected ETF came out today. It's the ARC-X, which is the arc space exploration and the ticker symbol ARKX. By the way, we're going to talk about these things, but they are not necessarily recommendations. And this just started trading today. I know Jared, the fiscal therapist, you were uh, kind of excited about it. You had some clients that wanted to get in this thing. I was very excited. I wanted to get in for clients as well, but I have a few uh, clients that mentioned it to me and it did fit a few of their um, risk tolerances. Uh, usually long term, and we bought it. Uh, moonshot, moonshot aggressive. Moonshot aggressive, maybe to the stars even. Yeah. Um, but we did. Or I bought it today around twenty twenty dollars and eighteen cents. It started out at twenty fifty. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Well, I mean, you bought it yesterday, but so what are some of the holdings in it? Uh, well, the holdings. You know, their <laughs> their biggest holding is Trimble Navigations. 
and uh, that's 8.3% of the portfolio. But they also have one of their ETFs in there. They have a th- their 3D ETF. They have Kratos. They have L3 Harris, Lockheed Martin, uh, Boeing, Virgin uh, Galactic. So, you know, she has what you would expect in the portfolio. But um, we also have, she also has some Netflix and some Alibaba, <laughs> as well as uh, the e-commerce firm JD.com. I, I think because they want to see a Tom Hanks movie. I don't know. I, th- I was thinking more Interstellar, maybe some Matthew McConaughey. I mean, the trip to Mars is a long time, so you got to get that binge in, right? What they're saying is, uh, from what they actually gave a uh, statement as to why they did put Netflix in it, it says it has 200 million paying subscribers in the U.S. alone. That's over 40 million people who don't have access to broadband. And so if a satellite solution can bring access to those customers and expand the addressable market and the top line for Netflix, this is something that is very important to us. Enter Spacelink. Spacelink. So Elon Musk is in everything. Now, just understand, though, uh, folks out there, before you go out and invest in something of any of the arc or anything we talk about or anybody talks about, make sure it's appropriate for you. And, of course, you don't. This is a brand new issue. It just started trading yesterday, and uh, we don't know how it's going to play out. Look, there is there is excitement on that, and keep in mind, these are very segmented. These are thematic ETFs, which means if you're looking at portfolios, and that's how we do it in our money management, there's a hub-and-spoke approach. You have your core holdings, then you have a little bit of a spoke area, and those are your themes. It could be financials. It could be energy. It could be semiconductors. It could be space exploration. Yes, Bill? Uh- so I, I want to ask this question. Uh, Nikki's got something important to say. I have a question. <laughs> okay. Um, but my my question really is on on something like this where it's really kind of a new sector. Because there is there another ETF that trades in this sector? There are. Okay. There are a few. Um, this one's obviously the most notable just because of who um, Kathy Wood is and what she did last year, and specifically with her ARC Innovator. Um, it was up over 100%. Yeah. So when she issues a fund like this, there's automatically some interest. Automatically some interest sure. means we're automatically going to be lifting all of these stocks, even in other holdings, right. unless you're moving out of the same sector into Kathy Wood's sector. With any actively managed fund, though, I mean, you're going with whoever the fund manager is, and mm-hmm. Kathy Wood is, has precedent in front of her uh, for being very good. There are also seven space companies that have announced SPAC deals recently. So right. I know that none of Kathy Wood's you know, holdings are them, but they have their eye on them. And there will there'll, there'll be changes. But I want, I want to be clear, because I, I keep up with a lot of Kathy Wood's stuff. I see what she's buying, and she's uh, recently bought a few stocks in one of her other funds. But what she is looking at, and this is what her parameters really are, she's looking for disruptive technology. I mean, that is really what she is investing in. That's what she knows. That's what she's done for quite a long time. And so she's not really looking at fundamentals because these companies, most of them do not have earnings. They do not have sales. Enter Tesla. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, Tesla's starting to make money now, but they don't have they don't have really fundamentals. They have a technology and or good management or, or something like that. And- She's not looking technically, meaning she does not look at a chart. Bill? So when we make this into a superhero movie, is she bizarro Warren Buffett? Is she the exact opposite of Warren Buffett, who is, you know, generationally a value investor? She could be the exact opposite of Warren Buffett. I could see it. I could see that, too. I feel like she'd be riding, like, the Ark of the Covenant, like Aladdin. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I feel like in this movie, Warren Buffett is going to appear as a hologram. That's probably. <laughs> well, she added. She because added, of Kathy Wood's or maybe the, uh, investment maybe like the in talking, those companies. Uh, the talking uh, Richard Nixon from Futurama. <laughs> She's added three stocks. Now, of course, we know her in her flagship fund, the Arc K. Uh, Tesla's the number one holding, which had a good day today because the stock was up, so the fund was up. But um, she added three holdings, and one was in her genomics fund. She added uh, a company with the ticker symbol SDGR, Schrodinger. It is a biotech company, of course. No earnings, no revs. Um, it is a stock, and it isn't a stock at the exact same time. <laughs> Schrodinger's. But- and, and on a technical basis, the stock broke down. It's, I mean, it's hovering along the 200-day moving average. But it certainly, again, she, there's no way she's saying, wow, that chart looks great. And then she also added in one of her other funds, I'm not sure which one, but she did take a position in Open Door, which is the real estate company. They're coming out and they're making Ooh. offers and saying, hey, we'll buy your house for you, which um, I hope doesn't succeed because my wife being a realtor, I'd hate to see her sit at home, not do anything. So, um, but... The, and I look at a chart on Open Door with ticker symbol O-P-E-N. Terrible. I mean, trading below the 50, 200. I mean, it's just not a good looking chart whatsoever. And I don't, it looks very toppy. But again, maybe she knows something we don't. And uh, the last one that she added to the, one of the portfolios was Skills, S-K-L-Z, ticker symbol. And uh, stock had a really, it's, it was a new, fairly new issue, had a big run. At the beginning of this year, hit uh, on the high of 46 bucks, and here it sits at 20 bucks now. So it's down over 50%, and they are involved in mobile gaming. They turn basically games into uh, competitions with other players. You can accumulate points and play each other. So it's uh, that kind of disruptive technology. The gamification of real life. She did the, they did the Robin Hood site. Motley Fool actually has <laughs> uh, skills as a buy as well. Yeah, and, and I um, Motley Fools are very similar to not exactly what Kathy does, but they're not looking technically. They don't look technically and what at all. we try to do in our portfolios is want to buy great companies and want to try and buy them on the way up. I mean, that's it sounds simple, but it's not, but it sounds like that. <laughs> but we also incorporate fundamentals as well as technical analysis. We are not throwing darts at a dartboard. Yeah. We're not looking at a company, seeing it's disruptive, and assuming, oh, it's going to be great. No, and, and again, Technically, uh, we, we look at these things, but sometimes we'll say, you know what? There is a, a disconnection in the market. This should not be trading here. We're willing to, to ride it out a little bit if it gets worse, and then you, you, you take your positions. And for the clients that can assume that risk, we move on it. That's the thing, and that's it's critical because a lot of folks, they uh, if you look at your portfolio, you say, well, I can't assume a 30% drop. Well, then you shouldn't probably be in that stock or this portfolio. So, I mean, that's where you really, risk tolerance is huge here, especially when the market near all-time highs. If you want to uh, give us a call, of course, we'll probably talk about it during the break, but uh, 888-855-2855, 888-855-2855. Ask for anybody who's on the show, and uh, they probably won't drop everything and come to the phone, but they'll at least take a message and get back with you. If you have anything to say about the show, you want to give us any feedback, it's easy to do that. Feedback at stockdr.com. We're going to be right back with more of the Stock Doctor's Prescription on Money Radio KFNN, 1510 AM and 105.3 FM. You're listening to the Stock Doctor's Prescription on Money Radio, 1510 and 105.3 FM. This is the Stock Doctor's Prescription on Money Radio, 1510 and 105.3 FM. 
This is the Stock Doctor's Prescription. I am a million-dollar Bill Keevan, along with this Justin, who's very busy uh, looking at rain outside. Mm-hmm. It's nice out there. Nice. Uh, and Nikki Ward, the Megalennial, she'll be coming up in just a few moments with the Millennial Moment. But first... The stock doctor is here with some upgrades from this week. Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, we were talking last segment about technology and disruption. And uh, J.P. Morgan came out with a list of their favorite Internet stocks. And what? They got real creative. Let me tell you, you haven't heard of any of these companies. (laughs) But I want to say this, Bill. Did they choose AOL? Did they include (laughs) AOL? Bill, when we did American Online. Nobody is. American Online. When we did this show 10, 12 years ago. Internet stocks were, oh my God, they're like, you're, that's a far reach. Seriously, yes. it was uh, really tough. It was, I mean, you didn't you own these things, but they could go away. They were, you know, going out of business like crazy. I mean, they still do. But JP Morgan, JP Morgan names their favorite internet stocks, and here they are Google. Google. Which oh, brilliant. is, that's, that's is alphabet, but, you know. It's a verb. Heard of them, at least. Yes, it is a verb. That's uh, my least Facebook, favorite company name. Facebook. The FB. That's my least favorite. Amazon. Peloton. Now, well, as I go through these, I'll tell you some of the stocks that we own and some of the portfolios. Again, when we mention stocks that we own portfolios, not all portfolios because it's not appropriate for everybody. So we do own Amazon's one of our top five holdings. We've had it for a while. Uh, I did take a position in Peloton. This is one of them. PTON. I took that last week for the aggressive. That's a very aggressive stock. And uh, so that's something you have to be careful of. Uh, Twitter. TWTR. We have a little bit of Twitter in the portfolio. That's also aggressive. Uh, Lyft. And they also, at the same time, said that uh, their price target on Amazon was forty four hundred dollars, forty four hundred. When Amazon's trading below thirty one hundred, forty four hundred is a significant move. It's bullish. I would say so. They also did say though, Twitter hitting on all cylinders. They said that uh, they've gotten rid of a lot of the hate and bullying that was going on there. Maybe it's because uh, the real about? Donald Trump is gone. <laughs> from what are you Twitter. talking about? Yeah. I don't know, but they got rid of that stuff. What's interesting though, when you look at the chart on Twitter, and I was I was looking at it the other day, and uh, you know the chart looks constructive. Now this is something that does look constructive. The stock has pulled back right to its 50-day moving average after a, a nice little. I mean, it's a 20-something percent pullback. And if you look back, and this is something we look at, and we're looking at ideas on these pullbacks. Is it consistent with their other past pullbacks? And I look at Twitter. They had their uh, a drop of 26 percent in November of last year. They had a 21% drop in January this year and a 26% drop just recently and bouncing off the 50-day. So that's consistent with what Twitter normally does in their stock performance. So very, very interesting. But Wait, wait did something happen in November <laughs> and January? January? Hmm. It's weird. Well, it's odd. Um, I, I remember, this is how old I am. I remember when Amazon first made money. Because we were doing the show yeah. when Amazon first made money. I remember when they were a bookstore. Remember that? Only books. Only books. And then music. Yeah. And now everything. I'm looking at my phone. I just got an Amazon delivery just now. I, had, I got one when I was leaving the house. <laughs> but it is time for our own Megalennial herself with the Millennial Moment. It is the one, the only. And of course, put your arms down. Quit waving them in the air. She loves this song. It is the one, the only. Nikki Ward, and she wants to talk about what happens when ship happens. <laughs> talk to us, Nick. So I'm sure nobody's heard about it, but the Ever Given, the massive container ship that was wedged in the Suez Canal and cut off traffic in the vital waterway for almost a week, has been refloated. Refloated. 
The ship has operated by Taiwanese transport company Evergreen Marine and is one of the largest container ships in the world. Anybody have any ideas on how long of a boat this is? It is approximately the length of the height of of the Empire State Building. Oh, you totally took it. But yes, it is 1,312 feet. Wow. It's a big boat. It is a big boat. My favorite pictures are the pictures where there's the, the, um, the, the, the shovel trying to dig it out <laughs> and it looks like a toy. Tell yeah. us how it got stuck to first of all. There were you know? some great memes that yeah. came out of this. It got stuck because of sandstorms as well as it ran into just really rough wind conditions. Okay. So it ends up stuck. It's blocking off the Suez Canal, which I for one, not the best at geography. So I did a little uh, fact finding and it's an artificial sea level waterway in Egypt connecting the Mediterranean Sea to the Red Sea through the isthmus am I saying that correctly? Isthmus is a hard word to say too good job. Thank you very much of Suez and dividing Africa and Asia. It's the quickest path from Asia and the Middle East to Europe and the east coast of the United States. My favorite thing about the Suez Canal and she mentioned it's sea level the water is the same elevation at both sides. There are no locks. Normally, yeah, when you think no, of canals, the Panama Canal you go is in. A, there's a significant up, difference. Right? Up, okay. down, none of that. You just sail your boat through. This is the part where there's where it's really narrow, and then it opens out to a lake. And there's another part that's really narrow. And Caesar originally dug a canal, and Napoleon tried to get a canal dug that didn't work out but it's where they found the rosetta stone so tell me though all right Let me so guess, napoleon fell short oh what is uh, as far as the economy the world economy the the trade what what does the suez canal represent so real quick nearly nineteen thousand ships passed through the canal during 2020 for an average of 51.5 per day around 12 percent of global trade passes through the suez canal Around 1 million barrels of oil and roughly 8% of liquefied natural gas pass through the canal every day. I, I, I get that. Lloyd's List estimates that more than $9 Literally. billion dollars worth of goods passes through the 120-mile waterway each day, translating to around $400 million per hour or $6.7 million a minute. Okay, so Bill, I mean, you are also the five-minute professor. Yes. Okay. I mean, you do trivia. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if Nikki is prepared for this, but give me uh, comparisons between the Panama Canal and the Suez Canal. Can you tell well, me as far as relative as economic impact? Well, the thing about the Suez Canal is that there's a lot more traffic in the Suez Canal. Really? Not a little bit more, a lot of bit more, because the Panama Canal really only takes things from Asia coming to the eastern seaboard of the United States, and it's actually cheaper to go to the west coast of the United States and put it on trains. It's okay. cheaper. It's more efficient. So there's not a ton of traffic which has to go through the Panama Canal. But the Suez Canal, all of that is all of Europe and all of Asia. Wow. Because otherwise, you go around Africa. It is it is not fiscally responsible to take your boat around. and go around Africa if you can go through this thing. And a week's delay is still faster than going around Africa. Absolutely. So there were, as of Sunday, there were 369 ships stuck in a tailback waiting to pass through the canal on either side of the blockage. Some of the ships that couldn't wait that long went around the southern tip of Africa, a voyage that can add two to four weeks to the journey and more than $26,000 a day in fuel costs. And a little bit of danger. And and the southern sea, the sea to the south of Africa, 
is one of the most dangerous shipping lanes in the world. I do have to say, too, High Tide and the Moon helped get out the Ever Given because that, along with, you know, like 30,000 metric tons of uh, sand that they dredged out of there. But some of the knock-on effects include congestion at ports as well as vessels not being in the right place for their next scheduled journey, and it further exacerbates supply chains that were already reeling from a container shortage amid the COVID-19 buying boom. What kind of a millennial uses the word isthmus and exacerbate in the same sentence? A megalennial. I'm calling foul. She's really 71. (laughs) Maybe. Who knows? But I will say that a vocabulary and words that you choose are exponentially important. Hey, Bill, but uh, so here I've heard... Clients have told me they've taken the uh, Panama Canal cruise. Right. They said there are parts of that. You said narrow with the Suez. Okay, said, it is are, the size of the boat. Panamax is a size of boat. They that said that literally the ship, it looks when you look at it, it's, like it's barely making it through parts of that canal. Because it's where the locks are. So the locks are the, the absolute limiter okay. in the Panama Canal. And the size of ship that can fit in is a Panamax. It is a size of ship. It is a class of ship, which the, uh, the ever- green or whatever ever ever good ever given whatever it is this ship is way over panamax way over it couldn't it could probably stretch from one side to the other of the panama canal panama canal is like 26 miles any guesses on how many containers shipping containers were on the ever given i saw it and it was astonishing yeah it's it this would be like that game where you try to guess how many jelly beans are in a fishbowl i'm gonna go i'm gonna go first yeah one. I'm, a guess, I'm counting. I'm guessing high. <laughs> <laughs> He's the prices right there. 10,000? More. Yeah. 18,300. Wow. 18,300 containers in this ship. Mm-hmm. And it can hold up to 20,000. So seeing how high these things are stacked is absolutely amazing. When I saw the footage of, of it being sort of cantilevered or, you know, across right, the canal right. and seeing how tall these things were stacked, I was just like... How are they going to do this? How are they going to wow. dig this thing out? Not to mention Egypt does not have floating cranes. That's not a technology that they had. Half. Hmm. Unbelievable. Anyway, it's cleared up so now. So that's what happens when ship happens. <laughs> All right. Well, that was our megalennial Miss Nikki Ward. Thank you for that millennial moment. We're going to come back. We're going to uh, have one more segment, wrap things up uh, here on The Stock Doctor's Prescription on Money Radio, KFNN. 1510 a.m. and 105.3 FM. You're listening to The Stock Doctor's Prescription on Money Radio 1510 and 105.3 FM. This is The Stock Doctor's Prescription on Money Radio 1510 and 105.3 FM. This is the Stock Doctor's Prescription. I am Million Dollar Bill Keevan, and I'm here along with Nikki Ward, the Megalennial, and Jared Bocart, the Fiscal Therapist, coming up in just a couple of minutes. Uh, Jared is going to be giving another one of the A-plus investment tips, uh, and it's kind of focused towards the folks that have 403Bs, but it's still good for everybody, so don't go too far away. Uh, but first, the Stock Doctor... Uh, some rules from Goldman Sachs? Yeah, no, actually, they were just, uh, Goldman Sachs feels fairly bullish on the market. They think that things should be okay, but there are, are three elements of risk that could derail the expansion is what they're talking about. Okay. And um, again, they're not reaching. We all know this. We know that, uh, that rising input costs. Okay. Okay. Inflation. 
and whether we as consumers are going to pay for that inflation because somebody's gonna have to pay for it. All right, right. companies gonna have to make their money, and could they are the manufacturers be able to pass those costs through? So that's a, a major concern. And yes, we're going to see inflation. We're starting to see it now. We're going to see GDP up significantly first quarter, like five and a half percent, I think 11 percent second quarter. So you're going to see some of that. Uh, their next concern is higher rates. We're seeing that now. And, you know, it's cheap cost of money. So higher rates, what their concern is that companies will not be able to borrow money as cheaply. We know that is going to happen. This is what happens in expansions. So if I can ask. Sure. So how can someone be the CEO or the chairman of a Fortune 500 company and not know that when the times are good, they're great, but they're not always going to be this good. So you take advantage when you can and you make plans for things not staying the same. I can't imagine that you can get the kind of money you get being a CEO or the chairman of a giant corporation and not having that kind of foresight because I know I buy things when I have money. Don't I ask, know that. Don't ask United or well, like American Airlines anything about that. Exactly. But what, they're not saying that these companies are going out of business. They're saying that it could derail the expansion as far as the stock market, especially because if, uh, if it squeezes profits, they're not going to make their numbers. And what happens? So the market doesn't like it. Not to parrot the Fed chair, but I do believe that a lot of these inflation worries are transitory. I think some of the global supply chain issues that we're seeing that will be, you know, passed along to the consumer in the form of higher prices. It's not going to be that way forever. No, but I mean, the higher interest rates, that's a legitimate concern there. And bar- people and companies are borrowing money cheap. Mortgages have been cheap. And so they're up a little bit and people are freaking out. And But it's it's not that. But we've been trying to get inflation to the two to two and a half percent range. This is not anything that is just out of the ordinary. I'm curious more than that about Joe Biden's infrastructure plan, because there's talk that the um, capital gains is going to go up to 28 percent. Well, that's the other point. Was the that, that, that the third the, element was, was, third element? Okay. was taxes. Yeah. Uh, you know, we know that that uh, the Biden administration wants to raise taxes for folks making over four hundred thousand dollars. It doesn't like that. But it also takes it a step further because there is corporate tax and yes. that that Trump lowered. You know, we were the highest in the world in corporate tax at 35 percent. And that's why. Apple had billions in Ireland. So when Trump came in and he, he knocked it down to 22%. So it looks like corporate tax is going to go up somewhere around 25 to 28%. And um, so that's also a little bit of a concern to Goldman Sachs. Close the loopholes. They're also, he's also saying in that bill, they'll be taxing foreign companies more. Okay. I'm okay with that. And also just foreign profit. So even if they're an American company, but the profits that they make when they're seeking safe havens, a.k.a. Ireland, taxing those profits. Speaking of taxing, uh, since, you know, so, you know, I'm sure by now everybody does. The IRS now moved tax day to May 17th. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, That also, they also moved the IRA contribution day too. Mm -hmm. So So now everything is different. So uh, you can can contribute to your IRAs, your simple IRAs, your SEP IRAs up until May 17th. Also HSAs. HSAs as well. Yes, mm-hmm. I did see that. So, uh, and that's something, you know, coming towards tax time, if you need to get together with uh, an IRA or something uh, simple or a SEP IRA, especially if you're self-employed mm-hmm. and you only have yourself as an employer, you and your wife, a SEP IRA is typically a really great tax loophole. Mm, tax deduction. It can, knock, it can knock them down, baby. But it's not knock a loophole. Down. 
Well, you like to say the term loophole. Everything's a loophole. Well, no, when Zoom video communications doubles their profits and still pays zero dollars in federal income tax, that's a loophole. They got write-offs. Right. That's loopholes. Yeah, the CEO expenses. Those are loopholes. Write-offs. For people being able to write off their IRA contributions, that's not a loophole. That's write-offs. Anyway. um, Beautiful. Write-offs. Okay. Let's, uh, Jared, uh, Jared is our specialist. He, we call him the physical therapist, actually called himself that. So I don't know. I, I guess it's stuck. <laughs> yeah, here's not the thing. Justin did. This uh, just in. Oh, oh so, so you wondering. didn't come up with your own. No, you no, did. I you did took not. that from me, but not. that's okay. Uh, you know, it's, it's okay. It's, he's no T-bone. Potato, potato, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> we had a guy who, who worked with us who wanted to be called T-bone. Yeah, no, that didn't. You guys one did big Seinfeld episode. Favor not letting him do that. <laughs> so we we do specialize. We do work with a lot of the teachers and the educators in the in uh, a lot of areas. In fact, in the Phoenix Scottsdale area as well. So if you are an educator and know somebody who is, you know, four three Bs are critical to parts of their retirement. And uh, and you know the rules in and out. And your mother was a teacher. That's what got you involved in this. So Jared's been doing a uh, one rule per week. And here's uh, yeah, rule number last two. Last week was uh, make sure your advisor is fiduciary. This week is going to be don't assume your pension is enough. And what that means is all teachers have either a pension or an investment plan. Uh, you're in one or the other. And if you work a 30-year career, and just I'm using Florida for an example, you can are expected to make 49% of your highest five or eight paid years, depending on uh, when you got involved in teaching. Okay, how many people can retire on 50% of their salary? Lee, or would you be able to do that? No, not 50%. I mean, look, you, you assume that when you get older and you're retiring, you're going to cut expenses. Maybe But you also, well, downsize. you healthcare costs go through the roof. Yeah, uh, the average uh, married couple in healthcare costs about twelve to 13000 per year as far as with Medicare, their supplement costs, their deductibles, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So just never assume your pension is enough. You need outside investments to cover the other 51% or however much, 50%. Yeah. And this does go for any any person in any industry, the corporate world included. All the pensions aren't as a mainstay there anymore. Uh, but your 401k, you need to make sure that you have enough to at least replace most of your salary. And that's what we do. We help manage outside investments. And we can actually do 401ks as well. And if you're at the investment plans... In, in, the, in the state of Florida and Arizona. Yep. So, uh, you know, if you know somebody who's a teacher, it's really important because a lot of the teachers, they don't know which investment, they can't really make the, the best investment decisions without guidance. I mean, they really need help. And a lot of them haven't even looked at it. And it's kind of, uh, it was my mom's situation as well. That's just, they're not paying attention to it. They're too busy focused on the kids and uh, even when they have the time off during the summer it's a, pretty much a time to de-stress yeah. and get ready for the next year so I empathize with them I obviously saw it I lived it um, through vicariously through my mother so I, I want to help them um, just give us a call or, or even just send us an email feedback at stockdr.com and we'll get back to you Bill? I was just going to say uh, my my daughter's teacher is available at 7 o'clock in the morning every day and she's sending me text messages on the uh, on the communication platform at 7.30 at night. And wow. I, I know she's, she's yeah. got her whole day in this, and she's got a baby. Wow. She's got like a, a, a 10-month-old, and she just told the class she's having another baby, Holy which smokes. I would have warned her against. Um, 
<laughs> but that, that's I don't know if me. you get to talk in that arena. Yeah, oh, there yeah. it is. <laughs> uh, I remember just uh, times at night uh, growing up, even in middle school, like waking up at like one or two in the morning to go get like a glass of water. My mom was sitting there grading papers. It truly is a uh, endless, uh, it seems like job. Well, we're about to wrap things up here, but I just want to go over a quick sector that we do like and we are adding to positions within this sector and uh, just give you a quick uh, background. UBS, they say that $140 trillion will pour into clean energy. Bill, you know how important clean energy is to me. I, I know how important it is to you, but yes. I, think, I think if we took a vote around the table, we may get a majority on clean energy. Okay. I don't know. $140 trillion, uh, by two, 2050. And they're trying to decarbonize. They say this will decarbonize the world's energy supply. By the way, 15% of today's energy usage is consumption is clean. 15%. I thought it was more than that. It needs to be 55% so we can get to net zero emissions. So I do like the clean energy arena. I think that's a good place to be. There are several options out there. We use a couple ETFs. There are a couple stocks, but we're not going to give any specific recommendation unless we talk to you and go over your whole risk tolerance and your objectives. Are there, there's gotta be clean energy ETFs, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, so yeah. That, that takes some Quite of that single stock risk out of and, it. And that's the way we would play it. I mean, we really would recommend to play it with an ETF or a fund of some sort because it's hard to pick the one in that sector is gonna do great. I mean, everybody's gonna get a piece of that 140 trillion, but who's gonna get the most? All right. All right. We'll find out later. Yes, we will. Stick around. So I think that about wraps up the show yes, for this week. I want to uh, say thank you to uh, This Just In, to Nikki Ward, the Megalennial, to Jared Bocart, the fiscal therapist, and uh, I am a Million Dollar Bill Keevan. If you want to find out more, call the office, 888-855-2855. Ask for anyone, including the stock doctor. Someone will get back to you. If you want to send us an email, feedback at stockdr.com. That's feedback at stockdr.com. Thanks for joining us on the Stock Doctor's Prescription on Money Radio KFNN, 1510 AM, 105.3 FM. Find out more about the Stock Doctor at StockDR.com or call 1-888-855-2855.